0: Welcome to the CEIBS China Knowledge podcast, produced by the China Europe International Business School. So, thank you for being with us. We will soon begin the main event, maybe in about 25 minutes or so. So, while we wait, we'll have a few interviews. The first person is Tina, who is a member of the CAIC, the hosts of today's event. So Tina, thank you so much for joining us. Very
1: happy to be here all
0: So I think first of all I should ask you to explain to our viewers so what exactly is the CAIC?
1: Okay, great. So CAIC stands for SEEBS Alumni International Chapter. Basically we are and aim at being even more in, in the future the home base for all English-speaking alumni. So no matter where our alumni are from and where they are based, as long as they speak English they should become part of our community and Um, you know, benefit from the events that we um, organize autonomously and then together um, what we also do is help the school um, strengthen international internationalization and, and, and brand image globally.
0: So how do you work with the school leadership in all of this?
1: Okay, great. So, well, clearly, I mean, we, we all have the same goals, so there's a great um, collaboration with the leadership. If I just um, to mention some examples, so, for example, we regularly meet uh, with the president, uh, Li Mingjun. We also actively, as a chapter, promote the 1 plus 1 initiative uh, organized by the dean. We are establishing a wonderful relationship with the president designate, uh, Deepak Jain. We've met for dinners already discussing really the issues, let's say, that are at heart um, of our our, um, community, alumni community. And we also hope to host him as a speaker soon. Uh, We have a great relationship with the alumni relation managers on all three campuses, so that's here, Shanghai, Zurich, and Accra. And we also look forward to, um, you know, establishing a great li- relationship with the newly founded CAA. So there's a lot of work together and, and collaboration.
0: All right, great. So I know that uh, recently there have been, or you're in the process of changing the leadership of the CAIC, and um, you uh, are going to be the incoming secretary general but that is pending some additional um,
1: approval so tell us a bit about
0: how do you become a member and as a member what do you do
1: okay yeah just uh, to clarify that first part so basically we've just had re-elections as a uh, chapter the chapter was established uh, three years ago officially launched two years ago by its founding members to give voice to the international community of SEEDS alumni. Now, just recently, like you just mentioned, we had re-elections and it's really in sort of the formal approval phase. Uh, So we have all our names of of the whole of all the members have been published on our key channel, which are three very active WeChat groups. And we are there for, let's say, public approvals. In the coming days, uh, the official new leadership and, and members will be announced. How do you become a member? Well, clearly, I mean, the key, one of the key sort of requirements is to be a Sibs alumnus, um, to be passionate about the community, to want to contribute to the community. And that also obviously means to be able to give, dedicate some time and effort to to the community. In terms of tasks, then, I mean, how does everybody contribute? We really, we're a very diverse community, being both in terms of where we come from, but also our backgrounds, our expertise. So we do have different task forces. and everyone you know according to their interests and uh, expertise uh, contributes so whether you want to help with marketing, whether you want to help with IT, whether you have a great network and you want to help us source speakers or maybe. Help um, you know with, with sponsorships, sponsorships, etc. There's really something for everybody, and that's how we've created a, a team that can really we all complement each other. We also appreciate that we have we get a lot of operational support um, every year from the current MBA members uh, who are here on campus, and you know it's sort of their entry into the alumni community already before they even graduate. So that's uh, another great sort of workforce and and, and support that we have. And even if, you know, someone who doesn't have time, we appreciate simply if people become our ambassadors and make sure our activities are well known and and there's a lot of interaction and um, support uh, in, in the community so you do have um events throughout the year and you've had some
0: in the past but today's event it seems is a bit special and i know that you're working with the indian association in shanghai on this so why was it important for the caic to host this event okay
1: well uh, yeah great exactly i mean we do organize a lot of events this event we're very very happy to have Shraddha here because she's a, a highly inspiring entrepreneur and you know it's uh, very important for us to bring value to our community. So, to have her here and personally share her story with us as alumni today, we're very grateful to also the collaboration of the Indian Association to be able to host her here together on our campus. I believe her sharing her story, her, really her story here with us on campus today, will be highly inspiring for all of us. And I hope, you know, she's in China now. I hope maybe meeting here with us and, and having a chat with us after this presentation can also be enriching for her, of course.
0: So I know that after the, the main speeches, there will be time for Q&A. Um, maybe you will not get to a chance to ask your questions. So just in case, if you had the chance to ask one
1: question of today's guest speaker, what would it be? Um, I guess well i'm looking forward very much to hearing what she shares with us um if she doesn't cover it herself already clearly you know as um, sort of representing the alumni here there's many many entrepreneurs among us many people who are involved in startups so i guess what we would want to find out is if at all she has plans to also bring your story to china and if so when and how that is happening we would be curious to find out
0: thank you so much tina i'll see you later on And now we're here with Professor Shamim Prashantham. Am I saying that correctly? Well done, All right. So this is um, our professor here at CEIBS, one of the most popular professors. And you'll soon see why. He's moderating today's event. And we have a few more minutes uh, before the event begins. So we're going to have a little chat. So Professor, thank you so much for doing this.
2: Oh, a great pleasure and very excited to uh, be involved in this event uh, with Shraddha Sharma, who is a very well-known
0: figure in India and very inspirational. So as I said before, you're going to be today's moderator. What is it that you're hoping that we'll get from this discussion? You know,
2: I think it'll be a great opportunity to learn about and reflect on the entrepreneurial ecosystem in India. India is the other big uh, emerging market apart from China and both of these countries have seen uh, a lot of exciting developments around uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, Shraddha is clearly someone who knows the Indian entrepreneurial um, context very well, she is herself an example of, of a successful Indian entrepreneur. So I think it'll be it'll be wonderful to uh, get a chance to to uh, listen to her and uh, think about this other context, and hopefully that will trigger some interesting discussion during the Q and A and so on, about the possible links between these two economies. You know, I remember uh, when uh, Prime Minister Modi had visited uh, China. I think it was around May 2015. So this was about about almost exactly a year after he had. Uh, Taken over as Prime Minister in India, and I, I wrote her a little article that was published in an Indian uh, newspaper called the Hindu, uh, you know pointing out that although uh, India and China are neighbors and such big countries, you know you think about things like flight connectivity it 's far easier for me to go to London from Shanghai as it would be for me to go to from from uh, from say Delhi or Bombay to uh, to London than it is to actually travel between these two countries and I've always had this sense of unfulfilled potential, you know, in terms of the potential links between China and India. Um, now, to be honest, it's not that easy for various reasons and um, you know, I think one of the things that will be interesting to be thinking about are the other are ways in which uh, entrepreneurs in each of these markets can leverage the other in some way um, I've done a, a, a little bit of. Work. I wrote a paper about um, a company called Inmobi in India, which has been taking the China market seriously. In fact, the, the reason I was intrigued to pursue that was uh, Inmobi was one of uh, six or seven startups that was honoured um, with a Person of the Year award by a leading uh, broadcaster in India. And in the acceptance speech that the, the person from Inmobi made. Uh, he made it a point to uh, say that he was very proud of the success the company had had in China. And you don't have that many examples of Indian, young Indian companies doing that. Um, another company that I've recently been looking at called Capillary Technologies, again, seems to be taking the uh, Chinese market seriously and I'm developing a teaching case about that. So, you know, it would be interesting for, to have some discussion around uh,
0: the possibility of seeing more of these sort of connections across these two countries. So you've mentioned um, some of the stuff that you've worked on in the past. And we know that one of your areas, your niche areas, is looking at how startups partner with big multinationals. Right. So you've, you've spoken about Inmobi and so on. So what's next? What can we look for from you next?
2: You know, just in the last couple of weeks, some of the things I've been doing. Um, last week, I was in Silicon Valley uh, conducting interviews about how companies are partnering with startups then over the past four days I was doing this intensive bit of teaching on our global EMBA program for their core course on entrepreneurial management and by far the session that triggered the most sort of provoked the most discussion was the one in which I talked about entrepreneurship in the context of a large company and how one way in which they try to 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 uh, uh, enhance the entrepreneurial culture, innovation with the companies by talking to startups. Right before this event, I was at the offices of Bayer, the German pharmaceutical company, uh, talking to a, a group of digital startups that they are sort of have brought into their premises for three months. So what I'm trying to say by all of this is there seems to be sort of a growing interest in a phenomenon I've been trying to study for well over a decade. In fact, it was almost exactly 10 years ago that I published a paper in California Management Review with Julian Birkinshaw called Dancing with Gorillas. And the point there was, you know, with difficulty, but um, if they put in the effort, Startups might be able to usefully partner with large corporations, but you, know, you could get trampled in the process, so be careful. Over time, it seems as if some gorillas at least have learned how to dance. And so, what I'm trying to understand better is, is, is uh, how this is happening. So, a couple of things that I'm trying to tease out is this piece on the how, uh, looking at some of the practices that uh, these big gorillas are putting in place to, to reach out to startups. And uh, it's very interesting that now there is an emergence of third parties, specialist third parties that are trying to help bridge these two very disparate sets of organizations. And when that sort of thing happens, you know that it's become a thing, you know? Uh, And the other thing uh, that I'm trying to explore is the where, meaning that uh, these large corporations are engaging with startups, but how it happens in advanced markets is a bit different from how it's happening, say, in China and India. And even between China China and India there are differences in terms of the way the ecosystems are, the role of the government in particular, some of the areas that the startups are pursuing. So a couple of uh, months ago I had this digital article in Harvard Business Review teasing out some of these differences between China and India. You know, in the past when I've posted articles of mine on LinkedIn, I've got a few hundred views and I've thought, you know, that's quite nice. But with this one, uh, it it got almost 10,000 views. And I get the impression it sort of struck a chord both because corporations are increasingly thinking about working with startups but don't necessarily know how to do, uh, how to do it. Uh, but I think more importantly there is this genuine interest in emerging markets and uh, again the talk that we have today plays into this uh, broader discourse around entrepreneurship in, in emerging markets.
0: So exciting things ahead for you. Um, would you believe that there is any possibility of collaborating for example with today's speaker?
2: You know, I think in general, there's a lot of scope for exploring more how uh, one can collaborate between China and India. Um, And so I think, for example, the Sieb's alumni network, especially those of Indian origin, some of whom have stayed on in China, some of whom have have gone back to India, represent a very important bridge. I was just talking to someone today who said there's now a new uh, alumni group of Indian business school grads based in China, and about 40 of them have banded together, and I think that's interesting. So anything that can contribute to greater dialogue across these two markets, and, and actually it's, it's quite surprising uh, that it's not so straightforward. You know, the links between uh, uh, China and the West or, or reaching out to the West from India somehow has seemed far more straightforward in in many ways and so anything that can contribute towards the building of the the china india corridor if you will um, would, would be helpful and yes i mean i think shradha is a better place than most uh, to uh, provide insight into the the indian ecosystem and uh, i would be more than happy to explore with her how those of us based in china can can contribute towards uh, the connections between these two countries, and I think frankly the more people from both sides get to know, to, uh, get to know each other, talk to each other, you know, then you begin, begin to see the shift from just talking about it as a theoretical possibility and then actual things happening on the ground, and uh, right now that gap is quite huge. Um, but, you know, I keep hearing Chinese entrepreneurs telling me that they are very interested in the Indian market. I keep hearing Indian entrepreneurs saying, you know, we're, we're curious about the Chinese market. And I think the more these opportunities are explored, uh, the more beginning, we'll begin to see um, interesting cross-border
0: uh, initiatives. Thank you so much. We look forward to more during the discussion.
2: Thank you very much.
3: Good afternoon, uh, everyone. On behalf of the Seeps uh, Alumni International Chapter and the Indian Association, we welcome you in this classroom. We are very honoured uh, to welcome Shrada Sharma. So thank you Shrada, for being with us today. We are very much looking forward to uh, this talk. Thank you also to Mukesh Sharma, without whom this event would not have been possible. Uh, This event is done in partnership with the Indian Association. Thank you, Mukesh, for this. Thank you also to Professor Shamin, who has been very busy these last few days Uh, with the GEMBA uh, 17, I believe, right, on campus. But you did not hesitate for a second to be here with us and accept the challenge of moderating today's Q&A. So thank you very much uh, for that. Also, it gives me great pleasure, like always, to see uh, your glowing and energetic faces. Welcome, GEMBA, EMBA, MBA, FMBA. Um, here in the classroom, but also in Accra and um, in Zurich, because this event is being uh, streamed and broadcasted. Lively. Um, a few words before I give the floor to Schrader. We have a few upcoming events. The next event will be um, September 28th in Berlin, the German chapter. Is organizing an alumni reunion of course we hope to see you over there um, we have a next speaker event planned on October the 21st with the CEO of Shunfeng again we hope to see you here and a networking mixer planned in the downtown area around um, no I believe it is November the 9th November the 9th it is November the 9th <laughs> I will not uh, take too much of your time. I would love you if you would join me in warmly welcoming on stage, Shrada.
4: Thank you uh, so much, Cedric. You know, before I uh, begin, let me just uh, put a disclaimer that, uh, you know, the company I run is called Your Story. So I listen to stories of people and, uh, and I've been doing that for last 10 years. So whenever I get a chance to tell my story, it's very rare and I get nervous and I just then start blabbering and I speak too much. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to uh, keep it short, precise. So help me uh, to make this session very uh, interactive uh, so that if you are here in the room, then i'm able to value your time and answer some of the questions that you might have uh, so we will keep it engaging uh, but before uh, so i hope that's okay with all of you that's fine yeah uh, just to introduce myself uh, i started your story in 2008 uh, to give my background i uh, was born and grew up in india and uh, m- the one thing which I'm, I say that I am very proud of and uh, known for is that I grew in the most backward state of India, which is uh, Bihar, and uh, and it's also one of the most difficult space for women. And I think uh, uh, the great fire and drive came in me because I grew up in Bihar, which is uh, uh, in the north of India, and uh, one thing which I always, as a child, I always used to believe because the realities were very difficult, is that all of us can live in possibilities. And how do the possibilities and how do, you know, things happen? How do you think? How do you think about hope? How do you think about a better tomorrow? And all those things happen in stories. And uh, I knew that stories are very powerful because there's a possibility. You know, it's like... uh, it's a map, it doesn't give you the destination, but it gives you a path. And, uh, uh, and, after, and, and, and that's how uh, after my education in uh, Bihar in India, I joined print, Times of India, it's a, a newspaper. Uh, and then after that I worked in a news channel called CNBC. And I realized that okay, There has to be more to stories than the way the media tells stories. And that's how in 2008 I started Your Story. And I named it Your Story because somewhere I thought, and this is not to do with India, but across the world. You see it in Europe, you see it in US in a big way. You see a little bit of it also in China. You see it uh, across the world. We are all becoming very consumerist and we are all becoming very obsessed with our own selves. So, you know, we are always thinking about our own story. And when we are thinking and talking about our own story, we've just forgotten to listen to the other person and their story. So I thought we had all thinking about my story and it's about me. And if as people we are only thinking about ourselves, then who's going to listen to your story? And that's how I named Uh, the platform your story and I said without bias without judgment I'm just going to listen to your stories and I'm going to listen to the stories of all the people whom people the world considers not cool not happening not uh, successful you know because all of us if today in place of me there was some very big celebrity this hall would be packed because we all wanted we all want to listen to the story of some big global superstar but but I thought the possibilities of in everyone to have a great story is tremendous it's just that we have to listen and that's how uh, the platform your story started today it's 2018 in the last 10 years we have told stories of 80,000 people. We reach 10 million people across the world and primarily in India and uh, we are the largest platform for entrepreneurs in India. Just took a baby step in, expanded to Germany and this is just a baby step to come to China and explore how can we have Combined stories, because the narrative in India and China is a lot written by politics, uh, economy. But I think the possibilities and hope when we have the heroes here, connecting to the heroes in India, magic can happen. And that's why I'm here. And that's my story. I told you my story so that you can understand whatever bullshit I'm going to do that okay, it doesn't come from a place of nonsense, it comes from a place of 10 years of lot of love, lot of hard work and lot of listening to stories Um, now to what I'm sure all of you want to know is what is happening in India what is the startup story uh, uh, which is brewing up in India and uh, If you see, India uh, is a very old, like China, India has a very uh, rich, but it's a very old, old, old country. But when it comes to independence, it is, and getting its freedom, it's a very, very young country. So it's a great paradox, one of the oldest civilizations in the world, Indus Valley civilization, first footprint of humanity and human beings, Uh, you know, everything, the history uh, happened in that country, but uh, I'm sure all of you know that uh, India was invaded by different uh, clans, communities across the centuries and India got its independence in 1947. So from that perspective, it's a very, very young country. And we were ruled by Britishers for a long time. And 1947, 15th August, we just celebrated our uh, 72nd independence. Uh, was a huge uh, milestone for India. And from 1947 to 1991, because the country was so badly... Uh, you know, uh, so badly destroyed, and everything was taken away from the country, so uh, the government at that point decided that we'll have socialist economy, so because there was a lot of poverty, there were a lot of issues, so how do you create food, how do you, you know, create livelihood for everyone, and then that's why our first prime minister that time uh, created a socialist economy. But what it also meant is that from 1947 to 1991, India was a very slow growing economy. But, you know, we could debate about it and discuss the merits of socialism, communism, democracy, uh, but um, while it led to uh, you know, upliftment of poverty, but it was growing very slowly to the point that in 1991, India faced a huge financial crisis. And that's when the country opened its market. And 1991 was the year of change. And one thing which we became very famous for, (laughs) and India was notorious uh, for, is the IT services industry. So, you know, I don't know if you, I'm sure if you've heard anything about India, you would have heard about all the jobs of, you know, the IT services, back-end jobs, data entry jobs, everything going to India. We had uh, a lot of IT services because it was mostly because of low uh, income talent pool that you were getting in the uh, country. But the interesting point is that 1990 onwards, when when India opened to the world, there there were a lot of companies from US, from Europe, from all over the world which started coming because the economy was open. And a lot of interesting things started brewing up. There were more opportunities. Indians were getting exposed to what is happening around the world, which we did not have uh, if you see, till 1991, we were not uh, exposed to that. And and to me, the biggest innovation happens because of two things. One is education, and second is exposure. And India started getting exposure from 1991. Uh, you know, one of the big things also is that a lot of Indian students, and, and here I'm talking in a mba uh, college a lot of indian students uh, started travelling across the world if you see the best talent in maths engineering uh, you know one of the studies we were we just uh, and it was out um, and talked about a lot if you look at silicon valley one out of every uh, third entrepreneur in silicon valley is an indian guy like the third co-founder in all the companies uh, and look at the CEOs of Microsoft, Google, you just name it. Because India has always focused heavily, heavily on education and we've had some of the best uh, talent coming. So the talent pool was there and they were getting exposed now to uh, the global uh, economy, global solutions. So basically what I'm saying is that from 90s onwards, from a closed economy, India became an open economy, a lot of exposure, students going outside, a lot of companies coming to uh, India. So it was basically a potpourri of a lot of action and a lot of exposure. And that laid foundation to what I am very driven about, and my heart is in, is the startup ecosystem. Uh, You know, I can, I'll just move. Now, if you see, 2008, when I started your story, there were these companies which had come in India, be it in Bangalore, which is supposed to be the startup hub, and India is the third largest startup ecosystem in the world. First is US, second is Israel, third is India. As of now, we have tracked 41,000 startups. And I feel that in Bangalore, if you knock in every uh, door, (laughs) outside every house, either someone is doing a startup or someone is planning to start up. So the country has become like a startup nation, of course, be it the government, which is completely pushing the startup agenda, be it all the colleges, which have a startup cell, accelerator, all the corporates which are working in India who have a fund or who have an accelerator program. So India, to me, is, you know, in its own interesting way, because of the number of people that we have. We have 1.3 billion people, and it's the largest consumerist, uh, growing, emerging middle-class economy, And, uh, and, and that's why it's a great opportunity for startups. I'm sure all of you would have, how many of you here know of Flipkart? You would have, right? Because of the exit and the news. Uh, uh, It got a $16 billion exit uh, uh, to Walmart. As of today, I read that Warren Buffet is looking at investing in Paytm, which is a payment gateway. So India is becoming an action ground when it comes to uh, players from across the world because it's an economy which is growing. It's a bet, it's a market on which Uh, there's a huge bet because uh, the GDP, be it the numbers, be it the people consuming uh, goods and services, is just going to grow. And why will it happen if you look at the context which I gave you, 1947, 1991, sorry, I'm just feeling very bad that I'm making you sleep, I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, is uh, uh, is uh, yeah, (laughs) So, so yeah, it's interesting time yeah, and uh, 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 everything like the building blocks are coming together. If you see some of the top investors from across the world are here in India. And uh, personally, if I have to say that any market where the bet should be for the biggest innovation because we be talent pool of engineers, mathematicians, be it the resources, be it the funds, be it the drive and the hope, be it the chaos and the challenges, and and that paves for a great number of opportunities. India is the place, and I'm very excited to be coming from India. And it's also a space. It's also you know a time where it would be. Uh, great because India is looking outwards. Currently, the prime minister of the country is looking outwards. Uh, And uh, uh, one of the big agendas which I have with this trip is to see how India can collaborate more with China. How can we have more information flowing about India in China and about China in India? Because what we read are still from traditional newspapers These are still politically driven narratives and agenda, but stories, hope, aspirations are built not by political narratives, but on ground by young people. India is the youngest uh, economy with youngest uh, demographic. China is... uh, is a very large uh, market with uh, similarly very ambitious uh, people and I think there's a huge opportunity for us to collaborate and uh, yeah, and that's why I'm here Uh, and and that's my story about Indian startups and uh, I'm hoping that I'm not blabbering too much because I see some of you sleeping (laughs) and I wouldn't like that because that would be rude of me to continue talking. Uh, So with that, I would request uh, Professor Shameen, if you could, yeah. Uh,
2: So Shraddha, wonderful to have you here. Thank you very much for giving us this nice overview of how the Indian economy has been developing and now how you have this uh, startup scene. Um, just on a personal note, one of the things about your background that I personally find interesting is that you don't act—you didn't grow up in one of the big
4: mm-hmm. uh,
2: cities in India. I'm the same, except from the other end of the country. So I grew up in a town called Velor
4: Of course. Uh, and you
2: know, you grew up thinking that you ultimately had to get to one of the big cities and and see the world from that perspective. So it's it's uh, always very nice to see. People who have come from, from who, can, who have proven that uh, wonderful things can happen and come out of uh, all kinds of places. So, um, towards the end of your remarks, you were talking about how it's important to have these personal connections across the countries, and I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think part of the difficulty is that. Uh, even just physical connectivity between the two countries, you know, isn't great. You could go from Shanghai to London or from Delhi to London far more easily than you could go between these two cities, yeah. even though they're actually more proximate and, and culturally uh, or historically have had cultural links and so on. So I'm, I'm very happy to be hearing about that. So maybe we can sort of kick off... Uh, by talking a little bit about your sense of what the potential you see for Indian startups exploring the Chinese market or the other way around.
4: Um, Thank you and good to know you're from uh, Valor. Uh, I would say right now there's a lot of curiosity uh, among Indian startups one of our biggest trends and also our drawback has been that India is such a huge market that when startups are building more often than not they are building for Indian market uh, I would say there is an opportunity for Indian startups to come and see if they can collaborate and partner with startups here mm-hmm. uh, in uh, uh, in China mm-hmm. and then and, and, uh, the uh, because there are so many services, products coming up. Like you know, we have an equivalent of Didi. Though I heard today there was a bad, sad news for uh, Didi about Didi today. But in India, we have uh, an Uber equivalent and better. Called Ola. Yeah, Ola. Yeah which is uh, do which is has a very strong hold in the market and it is just growing uh we have lots of solutions you name uh the uh, the sector and we have startups and with huge catchment now can they expand here mm-hmm. i i heard that oyo which is into affordable uh, yeah. uh Uh, Guests rooms and hotels, budget hotels, has expanded and is expanding to China. So I think there will be a huge opportunity to find those right partners and and partner. Now the question is and the the big question is how do you find those right partners? How do you get to know the ecosystem? How do you go on ground? Because China is so huge and the ecosystems are so dispersed and uh, similarly for India I think people are coming between both the countries coming, getting a. but I think we need to collaborate there to create a platform where people can genuinely uh, partner.
2: Absolutely, and I suppose that's where the Indian Association in China can be a bridge. Also, the SEEBS Alumni Association, which has uh, many people who came from India to study at the school and then have stayed on, but I, I fully agree with you. And also in the spirit of you talking about stories of startups, uh, one of the interesting moments for me was a couple of years ago, I think, when one of the leading broadcasters in India, NDTV, announced its person of the year as the Indian startup. And uh, you know, there were about six or seven Indian unicorns that were recipients, joint <laughs> recipients of this award. And uh, the recipient, the person who received the award on behalf of Inmobi made it a point to say we are particularly proud that we have uh, had success in China. And, you know, I, I had some discussions thereafter with the China CEO of Inmobi and wrote a little article. Another startup that, oh, no longer maybe a startup, but a relatively young company uh, that has also been taking the Chinese market very seriously is capillary technologies. And right now, I'm in the midst of writing a teaching case because I teach a course on international entrepreneurship. And I think it'll be very interesting to uh, talk about, uh, or think about how Indian startups can come into China. And as it happens, uh, the guy who is spearheading that effort is sitting in this room. So if you don't mind, maybe we we can even hear a little bit about uh, uh, about capillary story. Uh, Amit, if you don't mind, would you like to come up and maybe for a couple of minutes tell us a little bit about what your experience is of uh, taking on the Chinese market?
5: Yep, yep, yep. So thanks a lot, uh, Professor Shamin, for your for your words. Um uh, I think uh, Shraddha is aware of Capillary. I think yeah. we, Krishna and myself, we met, uh, we met you long back. Uh, I, think, I think we, uh, so a couple of things taking a point of what Shraddha was saying. I think first is uh, on collaborating with the local ecosystem and uh, second is uh, finding the right partner, right? <clears throat> I, think, I think when we moved here and, and for the broader audience, Capillary is a retail CRM platform. And when we moved here, you know, the ecosystem here is on WeChat, uh, etc. So so we didn't have a way to understand how we'll integrate with, uh, with WeChat. So the first piece was really to understand what is it that retail and e-commerce companies do on WeChat. And the way to do that was, you know, first to hire our first two or three people, build that team. And then basically just attend as many Chinese startup events as possible. Similar to your story, 500 Startups, China Accelerator, etc. And really understand what is it that brands are doing and where is the industry moving. Once that happened, we went with some ideas and bounced it off to our customers and <clears throat> you know ask them to kind of validate whether some of this works or doesn't and then we did something interesting we found through these startups and the network that we had built we found two or three companies one of those we built our wechat integration with the reason we chose that partner is that the wechat apis at that time were available only in chinese i mean the documentation for the technology was available only in chinese so we then found this uh, you know local uh, partner to kind of work with uh, and then now, of course, we have our own product, and we've built integrations with Ali, etc. We have a 50, 60 member team. We work with larger customers uh, like North Face, Anta. So, but I think the the key part, and and you know, maybe we chose the right partner for the first two years. Maybe we chose the wrong partner. No one will ever know. Uh, but I think the reality is that, uh, uh, in my experience, uh, it is impossible given the level of difference in language. And and, and uh, the ecosystem both, right? It is the compounding effect. If you just have language, but ecosystem is the same, you can manage. If the ecosystem is th- different, but language is English, you can manage. But I think both of those complicates that to another level of magnitude. So for us, it was taking a leap of faith. You know, doing a lot of analysis paralysis on partners, but then finally saying, okay, this is the partner we are going to make it work. And then you know, two years later, we had our own product, and we still have good relationships with the partner. So I think that was what our experience was. Fantastic. Thank you. So here we're already
2: beginning to get another story of, uh, of what's happening on the ground. And I think one of the things that I keep hearing, uh, you know, these one or two Indian startups uh, that I've talked to say is they've had to learn to do things from the ground up in China. You know, it's fundamental. It's very different and so on. And so hopefully as um, these bridges keep getting built, we'll say, see a bit more. Before I open up the, uh, you know, to the audience for questions, I just want to ask you one other thing, because uh, more about you uh, and your own story, because on the one hand, you have told the story of many Indian entrepreneurs. On the other hand, you embody um, Indian entrepreneurship. And I think you, you very correctly said that you know there was this period when things were slow until 1991, and then there was the exposure. I thought that was a very nice way of putting it. Uh, But actually, it's taken a while before the startup ecosystem took off, in a sense. And back in 2008... You know, I've been doing research interviews in Bangalore every year since 2002. And in 2008, startup wasn't even a thing quite uh, by that point. Uh, And yet you saw... Uh, a a possibility, but I don't expect it would have been easy back then for you to be getting VC money. You know, the way in which we see startups getting VC money now, uh, from my recollection, it it just wasn't there yet. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit uh, about what it was like being an entrepreneur 10 years ago in India.
4: Uh, You know, when I started, I didn't uh, think of myself as an entrepreneur because I think entrepreneur as a word has become very sexy and talked about and cool. Uh, But uh, at that time, it was just that, hey, I worked in these large media companies. I don't think so. Uh, They are writing stories which needs to be written. And, and, And that was something... Uh, which was like every night I used to think about this after my work that you know these stories need to be written and these guys they need to be out there and uh, uh, and I just uh, took the plunge if I may say so uh, because I thought that if I'm going to think too much, then I'm not going to. <laughs> because, you know, once you get used to a salary, and in CNBC, I was in a senior role, uh, getting good money. So once you get used to that, it's very, very difficult to uh, part with that. So somewhere you have to be a little insane, a little crazy. Uh, and I thought, okay, if the money is not going to come... Uh, I, I I just jumped just to do this because I thought if I don't do it I'll not feel happy and I'll not be at peace so let's just do and the store tell the stories because if I don't then nobody's doing nobody's finding it exciting so that's how I jumped into it and for 8 years I think nobody found it exciting <laughs> no for 8 years I bootstrapped because I also knew that a business something like this has to make sense it has to have a scalability it has to have a market It has to have a path of growth, path of exit, path of blah, 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 which venture capitalists ask. So in 2015, when I was clear and the company was profitable for four years, that's when I raised venture capital money in 2015. And then I raised another round in 2016 and 2017. And uh, yeah, so that's my story. That's a wonderful story. Thank you very
2: much. Um, So I know... Many of you must have some questions, things you want to ask. Uh, Now is the time to do do so. Yes, please. If you maybe can just introduce yourself very briefly. Okay, okay.
6: Uh, Thank you, Shema. Very nice to to hear your voice and say your good uh, experience. Uh, My name is Fisher. I'm from Global EMBA 2009. And I'm also, I used to be the, the, the CFO for different multinational company. And in 2005 or 2015, I quit from multinational company and run my own business as a CFO mentor. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, the question I ask you is: say, it seems your story is, uh, uh, by the time when you create your story, this uh, this uh, platform, it seems, uh, I guess, it might be the blue sea areas. Okay. Maybe nobody else ever did it. So how do you how do you uh, I mean survive from the very beginning? We say the blue seas and then you, you try to convince quite a lot of people, yeah. and then try to scale uh, your, your business, and then try to make more and more people uh, to be on your platforms. Yeah. So this, this might be the, the biggest problem for uh, the people who want to create the startups, and then especially in the Blue Sea areas. No, so I That's think- my, 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 my headache. Really, I want to, uh, to learn something from you. Okay.
4: No, but I think that's a very beautiful and a very, very, very uh, relevant question. Uh, yeah, actually, you are right. It was blue sea. I think it was black sea <laughs> because I just couldn't see. <laughs> I just knew. Like, I'm sure you have this thing that you have to do, right? And you have to do, do, do. and But you don't know how and what. Uh, so I would say... Two, three things that work for me is one is uh, a very crazy consistency. So somewhere I had read as a child, actually, that if you see drops and drops, Every drop goes and then suddenly tributary is made and suddenly the big river is made. So for me, and, and, and someone said that the network effect, if you see the network effect, every business has some kind of a network effect. For that network effect to happen, you have to every day consistently do the same boring shit. It might be very boring. It might be the most tedious thing. You might just feel like you want to kill yourself, but you have to do the same thing every day, which is like very boring and not glamorous and nobody calls you to speak and all that. But you have to do it for many, many years and then suddenly everyone thinks, oh my God, look, this is such a big success. But people don't see the uh, 24-7 literally everyday thing. Uh, So that takes time for the network effect to suddenly happen and people uh, uh, and everything starts falling in place. But the most important thing which I did is I was a little shameless Because I knew nobody is going to come. You know, like I have this joke, which I say that nobody is going to come and tell you, oh my God, you are very good. What you're doing is very valuable. Nobody, nobody cares a damn. So for me, when I was doing stories of entrepreneurs, one, I was very consistent. Be it Saturday, Sunday, night, day, there was no holiday. So I was just doing this because I knew that If I do it consistently, I didn't see when, but it will happen. Second is, I just went and talked to everyone. You don't know what a psycho I was. I met every possible human being on the planet like I could meet. Sometimes I used to lose my voice because I used to go and talk and say, hey. And with that same enthusiasm, because I somehow believe very strongly. And this is a very Eastern thing on vibrations. You know, my vibrations, if I touch you, then if I have a good vibration for you, it will come to you. And businesses, we have forgotten that, that if we have the vibration, which is like, okay, uh, this is going to happen, it just starts happening. And I went and talked to everyone shamelessly. This is the story, look at this. (laughs) And out of hundreds of people I used to talk, suddenly I am shocked. Like the network became so big after a point, and I was also very shameful to, shameless to say, can you please help me? Like, can you please help me? Can you please, uh, you know, I have a very funny story to share with all of you, (laughs) that uh, once there was this big investor conference, And only very selected people were invited for this. You had to be very successful to enter uh, that conference. And I had moved to Bangalore from Mumbai. And uh, and it was in a five-star, very fancy restaurant and by invite only. And they were checking the invite. In India, we can go. Even if we don't get invited, in India, we have a way of (laughs) getting inside. But this one, you just couldn't. And, but I was determined that my business opportunity will come from all these men in the room. So I told the lady at the, at the counter, I told her, can you please uh, allow me to go inside? She looked at me and she thought, oh, what a pathetic, miserable woman. So I said, I, said, I promise you one thing. If I go inside, e- even if I talk to five people, they will come back and tell you that they had the best conversation. Second, I'm not going to eat the food or drink the... <laughs> so I'm not wasting your money. And you can time me. I will go and I'll be back in 30 minutes. And you, otherwise you can just drag me out. I went and I had some of the best conversations just to answer your question. So just to put consistency. Seven days. You can't say, oh, it's a holiday now. Oh, I, sometimes you have to give up on your sleep. You have to give up on everything. You have to have mad obsession. Energy. Sorry, the positive vibration. You can't be, oh my god, he's an idiot. And then you say, oh, I'd love to do business with you. <laughs> that doesn't work. Vibrations matter a lot. Third is network. Just, I, I have a thing in business, there are two kinds of people, givers and takers. Most people we meet are takers. They want to take, 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 take. But if you are a giver, then you will see life as a way of giving. If you go and say, hey, I'm a CFO and uh, I'm doing mentoring and I'm going to give 10 hours to 20 startups and I'm going to help you. And they might not give you money at all, maybe, because at that time they can't. Right? But if you give, you'll be shocked with the way it comes. So for me, it's coming back. So the blue sea is give, 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 give. Like today, I've come for this place. You know, I'm tired. I flew from Hong Kong. <laughs> this was arranged. I could have said, oh, no, I'm, because my friend who's come with me, she wanted to go to this French call, French. Uh, Concession yeah we could have gone out but i thought okay let me come even if one or two people get something good
2: huh? sounds like fisher is one of those <laughs> <laughs> so be shameless and persistent fisher yes. um other other questions please Amit.
5: hello yeah uh, so, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, Professor Shamim also mentioned about uh, uh, there being platforms for collaboration between Indian and Chinese startups, right? And that's a massive, uh, you know, uh, black, uh, black, uh, what is that? Black sea, black sea at the moment, because, uh, you know, I've been in this exact space for three years, and uh, I felt as, I mean, like pretty lost. So, how do you think we can create some of these platforms? What is the starting point? What is like this real tangible way to get this, you know, thing started in your opinion?
4: Uh, you know, I, I somehow feel it has to happen at a very baby, basic level. So we started something in Germany uh, and it's very interesting that we got the government, German government and German startups to come and a and lot of collaboration started happening and we were very shocked because people are very smart. You know, if you bring two smart people in the room, it's like dating, you bring two very amazing people in the room, then you just have to get out of the room, right? But it's just finding those two smart people in the room. And uh, we did that. Everyone said, oh, why are you going to German market? Because you don't even understand the language. It's as difficult as China, because here you just don't understand the language. But I think it worked. So similarly, the whole thing is just finding three, four people from here, and three, four people from there, and can they come together and give birth to some magic? And And I think that will lead, because the confidence You know, if I say, oh, uh, this big guy came and he did this big thing with this big company, then it looks like PR. And then you feel, huh, something must have. But if two normal people come together, I think then the trust increases. And what we need to do is create trust in India and create trust in China. And that will happen when we have on ground. So I think we'll do that. Because in Hong Kong, I met very interesting uh, investors. It was very surprising. In fact, I'm doing a story, I, I was shocked because I am little skeptical and I'm sure investors here are skeptical about India. But when I met this guy, I was taken aback because he met me and the first thing he says is he's a Chinese guy and the first thing he says is, oh, I love China. And I'm like, really? Is he just saying it just for the heck of it or does he mean it, right? Or maybe he's meeting an Indian and that's why he's saying, oh, I love, sorry, I love India. So, sorry. <laughs> so, this Chinese guy, he meets me, and the first thing he looks at me and he says, Oh, I love India. And I'm like, Yeah, maybe he's a very smart guy. He's meeting, he'll meet some American, he'll say, I love America. <laughs> but he meant it. And now, someone like him, who's understand, his understanding of it, can we get stories like that and make it very pop, reach people? Trust, trust. Drop, drop, drop. I don't think so big events or big things, but it will happen. But I think it should be organic with some transformative stories on the ground. Super, thank you.
2: Okay, Valentina.
4: Hi, Shraddha. Hi.
0: Um, I would like to ask you to talk a little bit more about your business model. And also I'm interested uh, which revenue streams you had at the very beginning
4: and how has it changed during these 10 years? Yeah that's a very. She good was question. one of my
2: students for the record. Hence the very clever question.
4: Yeah, amazing, amazing. No, but that's a very good question. to be very honest, I'll give you to this good question, I'll give you the, the most honest answer is when I started, I didn't have a business model. Uh, uh, I didn't have a business plan, I had nothing, I just had this thing which I was saying is that this is something that needs to be done and I was also, I thought I was very smart because in media I had been in print and TV so I studied the market, is anyone doing something like that, nobody was doing it and when I spoke to all the big guys, investors and people whom I knew, they said oh this is rubbish, this is going to be a charity, it's an NGO, you shouldn't do it because you'll never make money, there's no way of making money But I thought if there is something powerful, if there is going to be some difference which I can create, money will come. I didn't know how. So to answer your first question, I didn't have a business model. When I started in 2008, I didn't know how I'm going to make money. I was just mad. And uh, I think I took some medication for my madness also. Just joking. But I was mad at that time. But 2009 and 2010, I started seeing sense method. So... I had done so many stories and I knew data. These were data of people on ground building interesting things in different parts of India. There was readership which was coming online. I had huge understanding of every entrepreneur and the stories that I had done. In fact, like Capillary, when I had moved to Bangalore, I had met these guys, what they are doing, how they are doing. So you know about these companies much before everyone else gets to know. You understand them much better. So initially the model evolved revolved around you know doing fancy big event startup events we have something called text parks because services is quicker right but then we realized okay that's not scalable that's not like how, you don't get VC money or by doing events or by uh, writing content or stuff like that so today if you ask we, we have the largest reach digital reach we have the largest data. And we have the biggest community of entrepreneurs, so community, content, and data. So right now in India, nobody can compete with us on these three parameters, and it's taken 10 years. Maybe if I was smarter, it would have taken two, but I somehow think, no, this is a network effect. This business needs a lot of seeding to become what it is, and the revenue Our 60% of the revenue comes through content marketing. We we work with 140 largest brands across the world who are targeting entrepreneurs and SMEs, and we do co-branded content. If you see in U.S., 33% of the digital advertising today they do is content-led rather than advertising-led because advertising is changing the model around and Facebook and Google has taken the market. So that that is one. Second thing is that we do a lot of data-led work. We come up with lots of reports because we have uh, rich data. It's not a static data. These are about businesses, entrepreneurs, sentiments, what they are aspiring. So that's that. And the third is, uh, of course event still is the cash cow because the margins are high. And uh, just this uh, September end, we are launching our subscription product because now we have a, a huge reach with the government and the corporates. So we're just looking at our pricing, what should be the price. So maybe 10% of our revenue should this by next year come from subscription and uh, and something else which I wouldn't like to say right now. Wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now it's an exciting space. So if you ask me from a revenue standpoint, from the scalability, from the numbers, after 10 years, I can say I'm very excited very very excited and clear path of how this is just going to hopefully if I don't screw it up and my team doesn't screw, we don't. We do, if we have it should go up. Because India is an exciting market and it's a very, as I said, it's a market where you can rapidly scale once you build the base.
2: Super, thank you. Shailesh, I saw your, your hand was
5: up. I'm Shailesh, uh, I'm also the same batch as Tina. Uh, I have a question. You told about uh, the narratives. Like there is a narrative of uh, uh, every house or uh, every community in Bangalore trying to start up or planning to start up. At the same time, there is another narrative. Like India and China always have two very competing narratives at the same time. is that of uh, 24 million people sitting for a government exam for 100,000 seats, particularly in the part of country that I and you belong to. So that's why do you think that your narrative wins and the other one loses?
4: Yeah, you know that's a very good question and uh, I don't think anything or anyone should lose and I don't think so I should and my narrative should win. Uh, as I said, any narrative is not an indication of win or loss. To me, any narrative is just a path to possibilities, path to hope. Today, I come from a very middle class background. I don't think so I should be standing here in Shanghai and speaking with the, from the kind of background I come from, from the kind of family I come from. But the only narrative I had is two things, education and the other thing is exposure. I think the part where you and I come from, still the exposure is very limited. My mother had cried. In 2008, I told you one good narrative that I started my passion and all that, but my mother had cried and she went into depression when I left my fancy job in CNBC and started your story. She said, I have completely destroyed myself. And, uh, and my mother passed away uh, in 2010, and I still regret every moment that I <laughs> want to tell I didn't destroy myself. Uh, so what the region, and that holds true in China also, and that holds true in any small town. A Shanghai is very different than you go in the interior of China. Or if uh, an India is very different, Bangalore, then you go to Bihar on an Eastern UP, because the exposure is not there. Today, all of us are worried as middle class that we have to have food in our table. We should be, um, parents die, they say, oh, we'll die very well if you can take care of yourself. What does that mean, that we should have livelihood? And if you look at US, US surpassed that thing, right? Even if you don't earn there, you'll get your social... We don't have all those uh, social securities and all that. So I think that will change exposure. People like us, people like you, me, we need to go back and we need to say that, hey, you can have a better life, you can survive if uh, you don't give that exam. And and I feel it's changing, and it's changing very fast. See, last, I don't know if people will, I shouldn't name this, but in in 1990s and 2000, if you did your engineering, there were two, three companies. I don't want to name those companies because I don't know if it's live streaming me all these. But those were the iconic companies. You had to get a job and your life was settled. Today, if you pass out, you just don't even want to go into those companies. Right? So it will change. it's changing and it will change. Right. <laughs> ah. Thank you very
7: much. <laughs> All right, Pablo, please. Um, my name is Pablo. I am also come from the same batch. Um, I'm very curious about media industry, um, specifically because you, you commented that you relied a lot on the content marketing and on, on using existing platforms. However, I personally believe that the way forward should be Getting yourself out of these platforms and having direct contact with the customers, not camouflaging brand, brands as content modeling, yeah. but just as a, script, uh, as a subscription model in which you have a more intimate um, relationship. So how do you see this going forward? How do you charge Indian um, consumers a subscription model? Um, And how much are they willing to pay for this?
4: Yeah. So, you know, just to answer your question, I completely agree with you and I'm with you on that because uh, I feel TV and print were always uh, one-way communication, which is like the journalist or whoever had the information disseminated information, and it was not democratic. Digital, I feel, is very democratic. And uh, just to answer, let me clarify and go on record to say this, that the content marketing that we do is no camouflaging. So the companies that we work with, be it a Tissot, with whom we do an innovator series, it's called Brand Spotlight, so everything is very clear. So if you go to your story, you will very clearly know the 140 companies. Though I wouldn't ideally, I wouldn't like you to know if you're my competition, but we have from day one been very clear so nobody can question because I believe that I should be standing in front of you and I can speak something with full conviction and honesty and not, there shouldn't be anything in my closet and uh, and today all the 80,000 stories and 10 million people who read, they value us because uh, we give them the reach and we are very transparent and open and of course they make huge noise uh, if they find that the we do some ads and all that, but complete transparency but to answer your question I think subscription is the way to go I completely agree with you, more subscription, I also feel the other model, which will have a great future, is if you, as a reader, become content creator, then the distribution of the pie of the brand should go to you as much as to me as a platform and publisher. So if we can create, like you know, in like the Bitcoin world or the crypto world, like you know, where uh, uh, there is a distribution where everyone makes money rather than the publisher or the platform, I think that future is going to be very, very interesting and very very scalable so that is something i'm betting on and the other thing is subscription different and i think subscription also doesn't have to be one size like you were saying pricing what pricing will work in india see india i was just joking with someone whatever you say for india is true like if you say if i say 500 dollars will work it's true I, if i say 1 dollar will work it's also true because india is so layered this 1.3 billion it's not a homogeneous country so if you do different packaging uh, for different for different uh, audience it will work today india is getting ready finally where it is understanding that yes if you get value then I'm ready to pay, but you have to also understand the other narrative, which is very, very true for India. We don't like to pay for anything. (laughs) Uh, The word is, uh, though I'm not a uh, fan of this word called Jugaad, but it means is that if uh, there is a software uh, for uh, designs, (laughs) Adobe software, if I can get a pirated one, I will use that. And uh, if uh, Microsoft uh, has that word thing, if I can get uh, an old one, which is not the new license, I will use that. So India is interesting. That way we are very value conscious. So if you have to ask us to pay as a market, then there has to be a very clearly defined, uh, you know, value that you're giving.
2: Great, just in case anybody was wondering about Jugad, it's the sort of ingenuity, you know, the improvisation you see, uh, it's like one day the, a salesman of washing machines went to this, these villages in Punjab to see how the, the washing machines were doing and found that they were being used very regularly, not for washing clothes, but rather to make lassi. So, you know, that's uh, the, the yogurt-based drink. So... Um, India is, is very
4: clever no, but, but China uh, is also like that You know, in Hong Kong, so we had two suitcases when we left from our hotel, the city, some royal garden in uh, Hong Kong and uh, so we didn't know how in that red taxi both our, my front and my luggage will go inside <laughs> and they had this wire and the, the the bonnet was open and they had a wire which I have never seen in India. It's
2: a Chinese Juga too
4: yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to check whether there
2: are any questions posted on Facebook that I need to be aware of, But so you can keep me posted. I saw Harish have his hand up.
8: Hello, (coughs) my name is Harish, I'm an alumni MBA 2018 batch. I have three questions more close to relate to each other. So the
2: first one is free. It's 100 RMB. For ah, okay, sure. I'm in, I'm in,
8: because I'm exactly looking for answers to those, um, which I'm personally facing right now. I have my own startup, uh, co-founded just four months ago. So we are facing, we're early, very early stage. I'm pretty sure you also face this three this issues. One, how did you, because you mentioned you faced challenge explaining to investors, saying this is potential future, because they were did not believe in it. So how did you convince it's, yeah, it's not might not be a painkiller right now, but it's a vitamin. But it's a potentially could be meaningful something. So how did you not sell the story, but how did you guys do it? You know, to convince them saying this is something the future could look like. Second, the link to is they ask for traction. So how do you convince your customers to get the traction? Third, how did you convince your team in the early stage where you know to get go on this suicide mission? Which allowed, you know to ask. So more or less related to each other as very early stage. You don't have anything. No brand, no name, no resource, no not much money. So how did you tackle these
4: personally? You know, so I don't know if I'll be the best person to answer this because I knew that nobody is going to give me money. So I never went and asked money. So if you see, I bootstrapped for eight years. It was very hard. It was very long. It was very unsexy. Everyone around me was raising money. Everyone... Uh, there is there was a Hindi song. I had this thing that uh, everyone who had I had helped has become uh, big, and people had. Uh, I was still the one who was helping people. People saw me as oh, she's uh, storytelling. She's Everyone, you know, once you know you are a giver, everyone comes and takes from you and they expect you'll be right there. So for me, but I was very convinced as I was telling, answering to Fisher thing that I'll be consistent and once I'm profitable... Once I have a clear path, then only I'll go to in- investors. So if you see, I started in 2008. I went to my first investor to raise money in 2015 because I was very clear how much money I will raise, at what valuation I will raise, and how I'll raise. So I was at a very different thing because I never want to do a venture where I'm invest. I'm dependent on a venture capitalist because somewhere I'm not so young. I'm not a 20-year-old who gets excited by the news of, oh, I raise billion dollars and I'm a unicorn those things are bullshit it just comes and goes like uh, and and all of us perpetuate that myth around the world so one is that second is uh, traction I'm very big follower of build traction. build a con- I'm not saying traction can be mean anything but do you have a consumer? Do you have someone paying for you? I think it's a huge, if I had to tomorrow invest or anyone for that matter has to invest in, and especially uh, in today's market, because we've seen the euphoria of 2015 and then coming down and then there's a sobering uh, thing happening across the world, is that you really need to see that, hey, you have a paying customer or you have someone who's really willing to uh, put something. I I think, I believe, and everyone who you meet more or less believes until and unless he's your father, relative, boyfriend, whatever. <laughs> so that's very important, and you should expect that because any guy who's putting their money in you should be able to see something uh, uh, besides great idea. And third is uh, team. I think that's the only thing that you can get without money (laughs) and without venture capital funding. Somewhere, again, uh, just to answer what I told, is in terms of consistency. How many people are you hitting every day? How many people are you hitting? And what are you doing to hit different, very, very different? You know, we have a pattern matching. If I and you talk in a certain way, behave in a certain way, come from the same background, we generally tend to go after those people. I would say break that for finding a co-founder for finding a teammate for finding an employee you have to break that mold and say i'm going to find someone who is just not like me i'm going to go and get into different networks i'm going to get go in and get into different like i found the first employee in your story was not even an employee because i couldn't even pay but i found a very smart student from a very prestigious engineering college who was frustrated with his job and i said i'm going to pay you very little money he said oh for entertainment, he joined, and then we became friends. And most of the people who joined in your story, and I'm a storytelling platform. They were all engineers. Can you imagine engineers interested in a story platform? But I found those crazy engineers who were frustrated with mechanical computer. They wanted some sense. They they saw method in the madness. And I went out for those mad and special and people whom I thought will join who are interested in stories, creative people, none of them joined. They all found this idea very scary. So I would say go, and and again, I would say if you go, go to nurture relationship, partnership, go. Uh, For me, I agree when VCs used to say, oh, I'm going to only invest in companies with whom I can drink and get drunk. Somehow, as I'm getting old, I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Go find people with whom you can have green tea or get drunk, but network. Because uh, that's very human pattern and I think that's limiting, that oh, I know people in this room I'm only going to network with. No, go somewhere, like, uh, uh, come to India.
2: (laughs) Arish is looking inspired, that's great. Please, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you. Please introduce
9: yourself. briefly. My name is Pan. I could be the first guy who visited your office two years ago in Bangalore.
4: Oh. Um,
9: my name is Pan Song. I was a former managing director of Fossum Group.
4: Oh, wow, yes. Uh, we
9: talked over phone. Yeah. Uh, received by your colleagues. Yes. And uh, thanks, thanks to our uh, for your invitation. Uh, uh, fortunately, we get it here. And uh, I just have a simple question. Uh, how many members uh, of... Uh, 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 for the new companies, I mean, are these uh, uh, new economies are will be IPOed in Nasdaq in this or in the coming fiscal year?
2: So, how many startups from India would India? I'm mean, India. Will be IPOed on, on the Nasdaq? Yeah, yeah. Specifically on Nasdaq. Yes.
9: Well, do you have any uh, figures?
4: Yeah, I would say not anyone uh, this year and next year. And I I hope if someone proves me wrong, but I would say
9: as you said that our, there are some are unicorn or growing up right in India, so I think that our uh, Nasdaq is could be a very good place for exit.
4: Yes, it would be, but I think uh, there are a lot of things. One is. Uh, Culturally, one is I think it is going to take time. I feel India is again last ten years have been a lot of building blocks. So though we have unicorns, but it's the unicorns have had to do a lot of building themselves because if you if I am into food tech, for example, if I'm a Swiggy, which is into Swiggy, Swiggy right, which is I'm Mad u- as a Chairman. Uh? I Yeah, so it's a unicorn in India and it's just growing and it's getting a lot of international interest. But if I have a Swiggy, so if I have to build that business, besides being profitable, besides being everything, I also have to train and build that logistics supply chain, right? So it has required a lot of uh, on-the-ground building. So I would say it will take another two years before we start seeing I there are lots of companies and lists, but I think they are going for their own good for getting good value on Nasdaq. I think it's going to take another two to three years before we start seeing the companies. But if you're interested to know the names, who could be those? We'll talk it later. I could, yes. <laughs> Tell you. Those Thank, you Thank you, Madam Thank
9: you, very much, Professor sharma Thank you.
2: Anyone else? Yes, Urbash.
10: So um, I want to apologize before I start this question because this is this might be an antecedent to what entrepreneurs want to hear, and it's pertaining to my my story actually. Um, What I want to ask, or I'll tell you my story first. Is I when I graduated in 2006, I started my own venture because. I had the entrepreneurial, I still have a bit of it actually, but I had the entrepreneurial bug back then. I started with a with a friend of mine in New Delhi uh, and it, it took us about four months before we uh, started making any money and by the end of the year we were actually making a lot of money. Um, and at that point in time I realized that I am probably not well suited for running an entrepreneurial venture yet because I did not understand the landscape, I did not understand the business itself, um, so I decided to step out. Um, and then a few, le- few years later, in 2010, uh, 2010, 2011, I started another venture, wedding planning, in my, in my city, um, which was miles away from what I, what I uh, could do. Uh, I started this with my, with my mom, who was an excellent creative person. Um, and then again, I realized that this is not the best thing that I want to do. Um, although it was very successful, it paid for my for my MBA. Um, but I still decided not to go back into that. So here's my question. Um, do you have any stories uh, with similar backgrounds? Um, again, I said I apologize for, for all the entrepreneurs in the room. You probably don't want to hear this, but what if, what if you do realize that? Yes, you, even though you do have the entrepreneurial bug, and even though you do want to be an entrepreneur, but you're not the best suited for it. Yeah, do you do, do you have any 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 stories re- pertaining to that? <laughs> and like I said, it's probably not not what everybody wants to hear, but it, it's it is it it is very interesting to me because it, it's it's absolutely relative to what what I went through.
4: You know so one at first, I have to congratulate you that you have ability of self-reflection, which is a very very important thing because as we grow in life, we reflect about others, we are very fast to judge and reflect about others, but we lose uh, touch with our own selves to reflect what we can do, what we might be interested in and what we might, and it also changes with years and time and uh, everything. Yes, I know a lot of people who uh, started up, uh, some of them are very successful venture capitalists, some of them are working in uh, startups in senior roles, some of them have gone to corporates and said, oh, I never want to come back to startup because it's so chaotic and stressful. Uh, someone, because at that stage of their life they needed stability they were uh, building their families so they wanted to do this and they said that okay after many years after some years we'll come back when my kids have grown up so I think it's an individual choice I would say the ability to self-reflect and say that hey maybe not now I started your story when I was 28 I am 2018 38, though I would like to say 32, but (laughs) thanks, 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 but unfortunately I'm 38 now, but 10 years, a decade of my life I have given to this I have made certain life choices, lifestyle choices, now uh, could I You know, did I think about it when I started in 28 that I'll have to make those choices? No, but I've moved because this was the most important thing. So everything became second priority because this had to be the most priority. And I don't even regret those choices because this is my, so just to answer your question, I think it's to us what is at what stage important right and uh, and hats off to you to see and i would say entrepreneurs are visionaries but entrepreneurs to build the most outstanding team and successes they need people who are not entrepreneurs otherwise if you had a team full of entrepreneurs with an entrepreneur you'll screw up big time <laughs> then <I have> hope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> lovely thank you Shraddha, there are people watching on facebook as well and there are a couple of questions that have come in Uh, I guess this might be from someone who is not so familiar with India. How does the online business work in India? Is now a good time to start selling on Amazon?
4: Oh, yeah. India is... uh, Amazon, uh, apparently India is the biggest market now for Amazon outside of U.S. Uh, They have uh, put 5 or 7 billion already, and uh, I think it's an evergreen, uh, perpetual... uh, Uh, Money that is flowing in India. E-commerce, I think, now the time begins for e-commerce. Walmart has acquired Flipkart. There is Amazon. There is uh, Warren Buffet looking at investing in Paytm. Uh, uh, So, yeah, I think it's a good time to be in India uh, to be uh, selling because if you have something valuable, if you have something meaningful for Indians, it's a huge consumer base, right? We have... uh, one, as I say, 1.3 billion people, but out of that, if you look, we have 200 to 300 million people buying stuff, right? So, and, and this is just going to grow with the mobile penetration and Wi-Fi, which we didn't. Just to give you a context, India, we talk about big numbers, but one thing which has, which Indian businesses or startups or people who come to India has, will say in the last few years have let us down is that, we oh, you guys talk about big numbers, but when you come to actual transactions and everything, the size is very small, it's not 1.3 billion and and, and I'll tell you the reason for this is that we are not US and we are not China, though we have Wi-Fi network, but it's very patchy and it has been very broken Wi-Fi broadband ecosystem, but with GEO and everything in the last two years I think India in the last two years has changed and for the better, so now there's a huge population which is transacting online, our Prime Minister held with the demonetization. Where everyone was forced to pay their taxes online, otherwise, we don't like paying our taxes and online. So, all those changes have happened in the last two, three years. And uh, uh, because of that, uh, right now, great market. And I'm saying with full confidence, so uh, try it out. And if it doesn't work, then you have me to say, oh, she bullshitted. But it's, yeah. So you're willing to <laughs> stick your neck out. Yeah, of course, of course. Yes. Great.
2: And there's another question which is more about your own story. Did you know you were moving in the right direction or do you see your own success story by looking back and seeing the dots connected?
4: You know, honestly, I've never seen... because of the pain and sufferings in my life, which have been many since childhood, I've never, I, there's a very schizophrenic brain that I have. At one part, I'm looking for success because we come from a very growing, emerging economy where aspiration is and all that is very important. But, you know, maybe many years back and now more so, for me, I don't know what success is. I've, <laughs> the question which I ask myself every mo- morning, am I happy? right? Like, am I really happy? And that's the only question that drives me. Like today, when I took the flight, it was two hours delayed. And then I had turbulence on this Pacific Ocean coming to Shanghai. And I was like thinking, oh my God, this flight might just go in. Am I might not go to Shanghai, and my ghost will roam around Pacific. The question is, uh, you know, because you just start living in moments. Because I have seen hugely successful people, hugely successful people from across the world. I know many of them very well, and uh, the more I get to know, I just feel that they're not happy. And, So, what is that definition where the world thinks that they're successful because they made that kind of money or their names came in the newspaper? That doesn't. So, to answer your question, I started since many years chasing that I'm going to be happy. How less frustrated can I be? How less angry can I be? How less liar can I be? (laughs) And how uh, happy can I be? And that way, if you ask me today, I think I'm in a great place. I'm mentally in a very amazing place. I'm very happy and I just think my story has just begun. I'm ready to run for next 10 years. (laughs) Wonderful, I think. Let's hope more of this continues.
2: Okay, folks, time flies when you're having fun, and we're sort of getting into the last 15 minutes of this event, Uh, and we also need to have some wrap-up comments um, at the end, and I think the Indian Association would like to say a few words, but I think we might have time to squeeze in one or two questions before that.
4: Are you asking me, uh, is it a trick question? (laughs) Are you judging my mental capacity, my depth of knowledge or... (laughs) Uh, You know, so I would refrain from answering specific company names, because I know the companies you have mentioned, I know the promoters very well, and uh, so I wouldn't give my judgment per se, but I would say, is it a good time to invest in ventures like that? Specifically, content-driven platforms which are investing in local languages, absolutely. Please let's not forget the cultural context in India. In in China, you speak with great pride Chinese. If you go to Germany, you speak with great pride German. But in India, because we were subjugated in 1947, English became the currency of advancement of getting a job. Now, since this government has come, finally with the economy doing very well, we are going back to our basic roots where we have... I don't know how many languages, but 22 big languages in the country. So, just to give you a context, one language in India, which is uh, Bengali. Bengali as a language, that's the overall number of people who speak Italian, right, or Portuguese. Uh, so, that's the huge base. And uh, is there an opportunity? Absolutely. And uh, I think that's the blue sea. That's like the real blue sea one should get and, and, and dip into because that's only going to grow. Because see, markets like US and everything, it's like, it's an English base, it's the same thing. We have Facebook, we have, but who's building for this market? And this is like 600 million, 700 million uh, people. And that's huge. And nothing is there right now. And it just, everyone is taking a dip into the market. But one has to go and build. And the big opportunities are going to come. So to answer your question, absolutely. But I'm not going to mention company <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Okay, great. So I think you're going to get the last question before.
9: Thank
2: you. So That'd be a good one. No
9: pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Shana. I'm Alana from mbo 06. I'm just a bit curious because uh, back to seven, eight years ago, I worked for managerial consulting. I did a few cases in India for MA. So at that moment, uh, which one of the things that really mind is about the government uh, policies and procedures. So one of the deals, which is finished uh, within nine months, just for government procedures, I'm just curious right now for the startups, entrepreneurs. What are the guiding policies, supporting you know guidance and supportive even fundings? All these relating, I mean, things from government to support these kind of startups.
2: In the past, in her experience of India. Um, in her consulting work, when they were doing M&A deals in India and so uh-huh. on, you know the red tape and everything was so great. It took nine months in one case just to deal with this sort of thing. What is it like for entrepreneurs these days? You know, uh, you felt in the
4: same. We felt the same in India, right? So it's like it's frustrating. Even like I, I can imagine. But being in India, it was also very frustrating for us. But I could, I, I, and and you know the best thing about being an Indian is. And I feel I take great pride. We are very critical of our own self. So before you could say we are very, very aware that this has happened. But if you see in the last three, four years, it has completely changed. This government knows that it cannot survive and grow till it creates jobs how is job going to come like how suddenly great jobs will come for so many amazing engineers who are graduating it's going to come when we have more startups how are startups going to grow when they get investing when they get funding when they get partnership from across the globe so out of necessity now once you look at india things have I wouldn't say that, oh, it's like the immigration, I landed in Hong Kong, immigration was like five minutes and I was like, wow. So right now, if you say, if you go to India, it's not going to be five minutes, but definitely not what you had because this government knows they're going for election next year. Uh, (laughs) And uh, uh, the economy is getting up now. So they know that we have to have startups. There's no other option and we have to make it easy, because any negative noise leads to a lot of repercussions. So you'll see a change. You, The changes, yeah. yeah, at ground, yes, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
2: Okay, at the risk of being a taker rather than a giver, if I can squeeze in one last question, which, I, which has come in um, online. Any advice for those who really want to be an entrepreneur but don't have a concrete idea yet?
4: Oh yeah, don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just uh, uh, you know, uh, I would say nobody. I, I you know, like ideas are like uh, dime a dozen, yeah. So you can keep on thinking, experimenting, uh, somehow what i've seen across the world and with people it's just not the idea at all so you keep on thinking of ideas seeing see if you like it if you get bored leave it dump it start something else i think what you have to figure out is the what is it that you are ready to sweat it out for many years it's like relationship you date a lot of people you like to go out for a dinner and then you get bored and you but then you suddenly hit and meet someone with whom you think, okay, I can screw my life forever. (laughs) Because this is something, the pain uh, is worth the moments of uh, happiness. So you'll have to just the strike ratio and just find that. And, and, And because at the end of the day, it's not going to be about your idea. It's going to be only about your execution. And you know, we are looking at the Elon Musk news and everything across the world, right? It is about, it's going to be about execution. So you can keep on changing your ideas as long as you have a deep rooted, crazy sense of execution. And I think the good thing about India and China is that we are very execution driven economy. China better than India, but yeah. Well, Shraddha, it's been an
2: absolute pleasure hearing from you and, and chatting from you. Um, a lot of what you said resonated with me when I, um, you know, I'm standing in a classroom like this for the entrepreneurial management course. Hopefully, my former MBA students here will uh, back me up on this. One of the things I keep saying is our problem is that the media gives disproportionate attention to a small number of outliers and gives us a sense of, uh, of what an entrepreneur ought to be when in fact the vast majority of people who uh, venture into this area are going to have much more ordinary but potentially highly satisfying and successful experiences Uh, and that the key really is about persistence, like you were talking about, execution, And I think you added another thing that I should mention in my class, which is being shameless. I thought that was uh, (laughs) uh, very interesting and very good. And uh, I'm I'm gonna be thinking about how I might apply that in the uh, not too distant future. But I think more than anything that you said, um, what I was very struck by was the authenticity that shone through in everything that you have done in the past, all that you've uh, shared with us, the way in which you have addressed uh, questions, and I think we will all be leaving this room uh, feeling enriched for having been here. So thank you. Very you're very
4: much. nice, and you're very kind. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank so it much. is a great honor, and now I will be shameless and say, if you guys uh, can just click yourstory.com, mm-hmm. then I'll get some visitors from China. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Okay, so let's show our
4: appreciation for Shraddha. Khan. <laughs> And I have one more request. Can we all take a photo together so I can show in India that we met interesting? We will certainly
2: do that, but I think the Indian Association will probably want to Uh, say a a few words at this point, and then we can all get together and and do
7: it. First of all, thank you very Very much, uh, Cedric and uh, Professor Shamin. Uh, Urvash for making this happen. I must also thank Sharmin, uh, who is also doing a great job here. We're all, all in touch for long. And I also thank uh, Professor Rama Velumuri, who uh, brought me in touch with all the wonderful teams uh, Teams at SEEPS. SEEPS Indian Association has been doing uh, the business mixes. We had a mixer uh, last month with uh, the president of uh, NDB, the new development bank, Mr. K.V. Kamath. And that's how we start. We'll do mixes in Pudong. Uh, Shanghai is too big, we have a big river dividing, so sometimes people say that you know, you do mixers in the Pushi side, mostly we do at the Indian consulate. But what about Pudong? Pudong is a big Indian population and also a great school here. So we said, okay, fine, we will have a partnership with SEEPs and do it here. And Shraddha was uh, traveling here. I was supposed to meet her last month in Bangalore, which we missed. But luckily she was here. So we just got hold of her and said, okay, fine. You know, we'll try to have. So she's having another talk tomorrow in uh, Pushi at the Indian Consulate. Uh, we have a less space there, already sold out. But if anyone you feel who want to come again tomorrow, do come. And just, you know, enjoy a different topic as well. But just wanted to mention that Indian Association, and uh, Indians, we have around 5,000 Indians in Shanghai. And a uh, very lovely community and uh, a lot of people study in SEIVs uh, in as well every year. I think Cedric and Urvash was telling me around 10-12 people from India study every day. And a lot of people don't know about the Indian community in Shanghai. So what Indian Association did was that last year we took a project. Uh, we have published a book in association with the Shanghai People Association of Foreign Friends. And it's the, go- the government support history of uh, Indians in Shanghai. I'm going to give that book to Shraddha because when she's going back, she can read to connect the dots back. And probably if anyone of you are interested, we'll leave the you know uh, a book copy, or maybe you can order that as well. So great to talk by Shraddha. Thank you very much. Now you have to carry a little bit, right? So this book has been uh, edited by an Indian author based in Hong Kong and Professor Ke from Fudan University. It captures the history of 150 years of Indians in Shanghai. And I'm sure that when Shredda wants to expand your story in China, which she would definitely, uh, she will definitely get a lot of value from this thing. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Shredda. Thank you, Professor Shamin. Thank you, everyone, for for being with us. I would invite you to come on stage to take a picture with the speaker while I give Shrada uh, a small appreciation of uh, of today.
0: Thanks for listening to the CEIBS China Knowledge Podcast. Keep up with business in China by subscribing on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. China Europe International Business School has campuses in China in Shanghai, Beijing and Shenzhen, as well as Africa in Accra, Ghana, and in Europe in Zurich, Switzerland. CEIBS is the bridge that connects the world and China.